We're ending a series today called Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, we've had two incredible weeks so far. I cannot go back and recap those, but I'm going to give a few minutes to each one just because of what we're building on um, today. Our goal is to talk about the role of faith in our understanding of mental illness and emotional health. We cannot address mental health issues per se. We cannot address every emotional health issue or physical health issue. We can't solve those problems as a church. But we can address how our faith kind of interacts with that. We can address the role of our faith and what we understand as not just personally suffering through some of those things, but also as we step, we walk alongside others and walk alongside with them, right? Two things have happened since since really the last couple decades when more and more churches have been willing to talk about it. There's been an awareness, which is really honestly the best thing that's happened because it's kind of removed the stigma from mental illness. It's removing the stigma from counseling. It's removing the stigma of something's wrong and you're broken and you're messed up and I shouldn't even be around you. Um, It removes that and and helps people get real help because there's counselors even here at our church. There's counselors, there's professional uh, things that you might need. You might need medical intervention. Again, across the board, depending on the severity of what you're dealing with, um, people need to get, get the help they need to get. The problem that has come, the worst thing about that awareness has been resignation. That people have really resigned themselves to the fact that, well, you know, I suffer with depression. I suffer with anxiety. I have this disorder. I have this issue. I have this thing. And you resign yourself to a life where maybe you're really not living in the fullness of what God wants you to experience, but you've resigned that it's just a physical issue that, that there's really a, just a pill I got to take. It's just something I got to deal with. And that becomes greater problems because when churches address it, They can sometimes address it, or you and I can address it, right, Christians, as it's only a physical issue or mental issue or an emotional issue. It's because of your past. It's because of trauma. It's because of, you know, a a thyroid that's not working. It's because of these things that you have to deal with, and it's only physical. Or, as churches have done in the past and still continue to do, they can make it only spiritual, which means you you just don't have enough faith. Do you not even love Jesus? What's wrong with you? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so, you know, why filled with anxiety? Haven't you read scripture? Don't you read where it says, don't be afraid? And both of these are actually problematic in the life of a believer, in the life of someone who's following Jesus, and in the life of you who's trying to help maybe others and speaking into their life. Because oftentimes it's not just a physical issue, but a spiritual issue. And sometimes it's not just a spiritual issue, but also a physical issue that needs to be addressed. Now, We've been giving you some great resources and great content. I want to remind you of the books that we kind of been drawing from for this series. Uh, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. That was primarily week one. Week two and week three, we're looking at the winning and the war in your mind, change your thinking, change your life. That's from Craig Rochelle. Both of these are pastors. Um, But also some of the stuff that Donnie gave you last week and some of the stuff I'll quote this week uh, comes from Switch on Your Brain from Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a neurologist or a neuroscientist uh, and a pathologist. uh, She's phenomenal. If you haven't looked her up, up yet, you, you need to, because these resources are great. Now listen, Donnie and I are really, we're super smart, okay? We really are, okay? Uh, but we're, we're super smart because we read these great books, these great resources, and we want to make sure you know that that's where we get our information, and that's where we really lean into people who have studied and understand and have a better understanding of things than even we do. Week one, I talked about the book, Don't Let the Enemy Have a Seat at Your Table, because, because reading Psalm 23, especially as Louis, Louis Giglio gives the illustration of the table, and I had a table down here, um, there is something significant to understanding about winning the war of your mind. 
about the, the role the enemy plays, especially when it comes to the intimacy that Christ has given us, God has given us through Jesus, our shepherd. So when we read Psalm 23, we get a whole new picture of the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You know, he, lay, he makes me lie down in uh, still waters. He leads me to beside still streams. He restores my soul. He leads me in the in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because his rod and his staff, uh, they guide me and they comfort me. And they protect me. And then it says, you prepare a table. You prepare this feast before me, for me, in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of real problems, in the presence of depression, in the presence of uh, bipolar disorder, in the presence of, of ME, in the presence of physical illnesses, in the presence of emotional health issues, he gives us this opportunity to dwell with the shepherd and to have this communion, but the enemy sneaks in. And I gave you four things to look at as to how you can know if the enemy's at your table, right? He can convince you that it's better at another table, right? He can convince you that you're not going to make it. These are some of the lies of the enemy, that you're not enough or that because of your mental illness or your emotional issues, that you're broken, that everyone's against you. And the fifth one, the bonus one I gave you last, last time was that, you know, he'll take a truth and twist it like God could heal you if he wanted to, because that is a truth of the word of God that we believe, but he can twist it into a lie, into something that causes doubt, not faith. And last week, Pastor Don walked us through our emotions and helped us understand a little bit of how emotional health feeds into the bigger conversation, especially in terms of our faith and our role. And he talked about the eight core emotions, okay? Now, if you don't remember any of this, you can go look it up. There's a wheel, right? And there's eight core emotions. And if you break them down, you can break them down a little bit smaller, one degree smaller. But there's potential that if you break them out, as the wheel goes out, everything multiplies and gets more complex. And, 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 and the scientists basically say there's about 34,000 potential emotions. And most men in the room go, bull. <laughs> you can barely name the eight, right? But here's the reality. People much smarter than you and me have made it so complex that, these, that they break it down, the emotions, to its very, very essentials. 34,000 potential emotions. And the reason we bring that up is just for you to understand that every emotion, right, can lead us to God. No, go back. It can lead us to God or it's a door for the enemy, which comes from Genesis where he talked about the enemy is at the door crouching, right? It, it, it's, it's something that, and you'll go to the next slide, it's something that we have to understand that any of our emotions, go to the next one. That any emotion not fully surrendered to God can lead us to sin. Any emotion. And this is a hard one to deal with because even love, even love, even joy, even happiness can lead us down paths of worldly thinking to try to fill that emotion, fill that need, and we will sin in order to do it. Everybody with me? Nod your head. So every emotion, doesn't matter if you think it's just the eight or the 34,000, one of the potentials. Every single one of them can be a door to God if we understand how to process them, or it can lead us into sin. It can let it be a door for the enemy uh, to come in. Today, I want to talk specifically about how to have personal victory. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that we need to, if we resist the devil, he will flee, right? If you resist the enemy, he will flee. But he does also say we have to humble ourselves. We have to submit ourselves. That was actually first 
in James' words. Submit ourselves, humble ourselves, and resist the devil, and he will flee. And I want you guys to experience personal victory. I don't know how to solve mental illness problems and issues. I don't know how to solve physical illness. I don't know how to solve emotional health. But I I believe there's an opportunity for you and I in order to have the right tools, in order to understand how God wants our faith to interact with this, that we can, whether it's, again, us personally or people we're married to or people in our family that we're helping and walking through life with. It doesn't matter how severe it is. There's ways to experience personal victory in Jesus Christ. And I want to kind of focus in and narrow ourselves into that today. Here's a statement that we're going to look at today. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, right? Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. This is a scripture we've read several times, several of the weeks, but we're going to go back to it today and look at some very specific words and and talk about kind of the power of our thinking and the power of our thoughts when it comes to the direction of our lives. Hopefully you'll remember this. Oh, actually, this is a quote. I'm sorry. I wanted to go back to quote some of the the books which are on your brain because we didn't get a chance to do much last week, but a lot of the content was from there. Thoughts are real physical things that occupy mental real estate. I'll be honest, when when Donnie first introduced me to to Caroline Leaf, this was one of the most, this is the first thing that blew my mind that I didn't even know. It takes real physical real estate. Moment by moment, every day, we're changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. And then when it hopes, meaning your brain, when it hopes, it's an activity of the mind that changes the structure of your brain in a positive and normal direction. She, if you read a little bit of her stuff or just look it up online, she talks about fear and love, and she talks about how that affects the brain. It's, I mean, it's fascinating. But just to, just, just, to, just to take a minute right now and think that our lives are heading in the direction of our strongest thoughts, I don't know if you've ever come to grips with the fact that your thoughts, especially your negative thoughts, take up real estate in your mind. They take up physical space in your brain. It goes on to, she goes on to actually say this, that research shows that 75 to 98%, I know it's a big gap, but it probably depends on what you're looking at, of mental, physical, and, and behavioral illnesses actually originates from one thought's life. Now, I don't have the other statistics, but hers helps you understand how tied in these things are together. And you know this to be true if you think about it. Physical illness oftentimes causes mental illness struggles and emotional health issues. Emotional health, your, your, your anxiety, the way, the way in which you take care of your emotional health will sometimes fuel mental health concerns or actually cause issues, debilitating physical issues because they're all connected. Even as she says, look, a lot of these things actually originate from the way you think and in your thinking. So what I want to look at is that this is a statement made in that book is that it's really impossible to live a positive life when you're consumed with negative thoughts. It's impossible to live a positive life when you're consumed with negative thoughts. Now, here's the problem with that. We all know this to be true, right? Like good thoughts seem to go by us at about a hundred miles an hour. Isn't that right? Just, (laughs) right? But the negative thoughts seem to mosey on in and set up camp, right? They're going to make themselves at home for a while. 
Why is that? Do you guys know? Do you know? Part of it is how our brain deals with those thoughts. And part of it is a spiritual battle of winning the war in your mind. All right? Some of it is, again, some of it is just the way in which we're wired, and some of it is flat out the, what the enemy wants to leverage to help keep us down, to help keep us from experiencing the fullness of our life in Jesus. So how do we have personal victory over these negative thoughts that seem to just, you know, set up camp, seem to just take a deeper root in our minds and in the way we think? Again, I'm going to go back to the scripture. This is the one I was telling you about that we've read over the last couple of weeks. This is Paul's letter to the, to the church in Corinth. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. It's just not the same. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. The weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. Keep going. And to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We're going to finish that verse a little bit later on, but I want you to focus on these two phrases um, because we're going to look at those two phrases as to how we can help have personal victory over our negative thoughts. And that comes from the arguments that we have and the pretensions, every pretension. It's like a, it's like a claim, if you will. It's an agreement, if you will. And I want to talk through those two things and how it is that we can actually work through overcoming them. Let me give you the two phrases that I think best between science and best between just the way in which it's logically formed. Let me give you the two phrases I would give you that, that kind of help us better understand those two words. Because those are not words, you know, demolishing arguments and, um, and, and pretensions. They're not things we usually say. But I'm going to give you two things that you can actually look up. You can do a little bit more research on as we dive into a day. First one is cognitive bias. That's the first one. Cognitive bias. And the second is false agreements. But we're going to start here. We're going to start here because that's what, that's the, the best place we can start, especially when it comes to tying into what Pastor Don shared us with us last week in terms of how we emotionally and how our mind and our emotions trigger together, especially when it comes to negative thoughts. Cognitive bias, the best way, the most simple explanation I can give you, you can look up a broader definition online, mistake in reasoning. Right? It's a mistaken reasoning based on personal experience, judgment, or perception. Right? You're co Every one of us has cognitive biases or biases. I don't know the right way to say it, so don't judge me. All, right? All of us have them. Very few of us understand it. Very few of us understand how it works. Scripturally, scripturally, we've, we've seen it in Scripture. Like if you were raised in a church, if you were raised in a church home, right? You might have heard this quoted sometimes. You didn't understand the context, but you understood it was quoted for, and usually quoted in the King James, by the way, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? Best way to translate this is as a man reasons, as a man or woman thinks, processes, reasons in their heart, in their mind, in that emotional, you know, seat of the mind, so are they. That's who they are. That's what comes out. That's what embodies them. 
you've been around Journey for any length of time, you've heard us read the scripture a ton because it's part of our vision statement. It's part of, you know, just what really fuels us as a church. This is Paul to the church, to the Christians in Rome. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By how? Read it out loud with me. By changing the way you think, right? How does the transformation of the mind happen? It happens by changing how we reason, changing how we process, changing how we think. Sometimes this is called a mental filter. Everybody say filter. Yeah, you've heard that term, right? It's a mental filter. It's what's there. It's this invisible thing that's there that's between what they said or what, or, or you know, the facts or, you know, whatever they may be. And then you go, goes through your little filter, your cognitive bias, into how you feel, into what you, you know, how you process it, which is where the argument happens. Everybody with me? Arguments come from tension, conflict, disagreement. <laughs> and that's where these arguments come. It, it's not necessarily from the source. It's not necessarily from, I would say, the facts, but it's the filter. Let me give you a few examples, right? You're a a boss, you're a manager, you go into your employees, you have two employees, you give them the exact same feedback. You look at one, you say, here's what's going on, here's what's wrong, here's what you need to do, here's what you solve the problem. And one employee looks at you and says, fantastic, thank you so much. I was struggling, I didn't know what to do next, I was afraid to ask, thank you so much for the feedback, I I really look forward to working harder, thank you so much for helping me be a better employee. You give the exact same thing to another employee, and that employee gets defensive, and angry, and loses their marbles, and cries in front of you, and like freaks out. How dare you say that? Don't you know how hard they're working? Everybody with me? I'm not trying to say who you, which one you are. I'm just saying. It, it just helps you understand, right? It's not the facts. It's the filter, right? That's the word. It's not the facts. It's the filter. Yeah, it's the filter, right? Man and a woman. You say to a man, that looks fine. A man looks at you and says, Awesome. Tell a woman, that looks fine. She goes, oh, okay. And the whole time her mind's going, well, he didn't say good. He didn't say great. I wonder if fine means bad. I thought of the last three things he told me that fine looked like. Oh my God, what if he's been lying to me this whole time? It's not the facts. It's the The filter. Great biblical examples when Moses sent 12 spies to the land of Canaan. And 12 came back. And two of them, two of them came back and said, God, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't understand. Like, it's so beautiful. It's so rich. God has given us this amazing land. The fruit and the harvest is huge. Grapes the size of our heads. You wouldn't believe it. We need to take the land. It's it's amazing. 10 came back and said, those are giants over there. We look like grasshoppers to them. The land devours people. We can't go. Isn't that interesting? Because it's not the facts that changed. It was, it's what? It's the filter, right? This is the cognitive bias at work. And just like the biblical example of 10 to 2, it is almost always the negative, the pain, the struggle, the, ne- the, the negative thoughts that seem to have a deeper root in our amygdala. Remember that thing Don talked about last week? 
or the amygdalos, two little acorns in the back that send all the warning and panic and fear to us. It's, it's, it's that, that's the part that's so quick to come, so quick to respond. And we need our prefrontal cortex. We need to be able to, to, be able to work on how we change that filter, how we process our cognitive biases. As a matter of fact, I'm, this is my advice. I want you guys to change your mental filter. Everybody see what I did there? It's clever, right? Why? Because feelings are always tied to these thoughts. And so I don't want you to just think about processing as much as I want you to think about how can you change the way you feel when the facts aren't any different, but it's your filter, right? To change your mental filter. And one of the most beautiful ways that God gave us to do this is through prayer. It's through prayer. We see where Paul tells them this. He tells them, he writes this to, to, to the, peop, the Christians in prison and says, look, I don't want you to worry about anything, but instead pray about, what's the word? Everything. Other translations say, on every occasion. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then the peace of God. This peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your what? Oh, the peace of God will step in and guard your hearts and your minds, your filters, because of Jesus Christ. He can help us through prayer change our filters. Now, this isn't some spiritual answer, some spiritual mumbo-jumbo to real-life problems. Listen, this science proves this, okay? Science proves this. This is again from Caroline Leaf. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Tell me that doesn't change physical real estate in your mind. That prayer can change things. Listen, prayer is not the last line of defense. It's the first line of offense in the war and winning your mind. Right? It's the first line. It's something that we go to because God has given you divine power to demolish arguments, to demolish strongholds. That's what he's given us. That's why he tells us. Right? He, wrote, he wrote the church, Philippi, I want you to fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. I want you to think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I want you to take time to let what is true, right, from here. I want you to take time to let what is true, to fix your mind and your thoughts here so that it can take up physical space in your brain. And it can change and help you process that prefrontal cortex that Don talked about last week. Again, go back and watch last week's message. It can help you process and overcome those initial feelings, those initial thoughts that come from your amygdala, that come because of your cognitive bias. It's not our last line of defense. It's our first line of offense. And for us, this means that if we treat prayer like it's a, a you know, we only pray around mealtime, or maybe you pray at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, which for, I'll be honest, for most Christians, that would be a lot of prayer. 
okay, for most average Christians. That's a, lot, that's a lot of time praying. Here's the problem with that. Thanking God for your food is great. It's fantastic, okay? It's not helping change any of your mental filters, okay? Starting off the day with, dear Jesus, help me get through the day. Kind of already starts off on the wrong foot, right? Ending the day with a book report about how your day went horribly wrong is like trying to tell God about a book he's already read, right? Boy, I didn't mean to yell at her, and I didn't mean to fuss at him, and boy, I didn't want to... Whew, I didn't want to respond that way in that meeting. I just felt it come up and I just said it. And then I found out it was a misunderstanding. And oh God, I just, you know, and, and the whole time God's going, yeah, I saw it. I was there. Versus when Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, right? Paul tells us to, to not worry about anything or not let these things come up and take us over. But in every occasion, in everything, you can thank God for what he's done. You can tell him what you need. How long does that take you? In the moment, sometimes it takes me less than three seconds. Right? God, you're amazing. I'm so dumb. Help me, Jesus. Okay? I don't know the answer to this. I know what I'm feeling. I know what my response wants to be. I know what it rises up within me. I know when my amygdala gets hijacked. And in that moment, we have to be able to pray without ceasing, pray on every occasion, pray about everything in order to help him and through the divine power that's in us, the Holy Spirit in us, to help us change those mental filters, right? This is a way to experience personal victory. Again, you may look and say, well, I've got anxiety issues. Okay, well, that, just, that simply means, I understand the degree, you're in your mind, the degree is higher. That's fine. It does not mean you cannot experience victory through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you have cognitive biases just like us. You have things that are going to kick off and hijack your system. And you have a prefrontal cortex that you control, that's driven by logic and reason, and as a man thinks, as a man reasons, that's who he's going to be. That's who he's going to behave as. That's who he's going to be like. We really have to learn to change our mental filters. The next one is, as I told you, not just our cognitive biases, but also false agreements. False agreements. This is, this is where we said earlier about that, um, let me just read it again. This is, again, this is that last part of the verse, how we demolish arguments and every pretension, okay? Those, those, those um, it's like if you think about like staking a claim on a land or something, like, it's, like that's kind of the root of this word. And it's gonna set itself up against, against the knowledge of God, what we know to be true about God. But we could take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Like we have the power to do that. We have the divine power to do that, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the knowledge of God, make it obedient to Christ. The problem is, is that most of the thoughts <laughs> that have laid claim in your mind did not come from here, right? They did not come from here. They did not come from the source of truth. Most of what has come and laid claim in our mind has come from the enemy, has come from this world. 
has come from your flesh, your sinful nature. And they have laid, they have laid claims and have, they have false agreements with you that probably go beyond anything I could just take time to discuss. I'm going to give you a few examples, but oh man, it's so powerful. Those lies come from our enemy. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus said. Jesus was explaining to them who the enemy was when he was telling them, you are the children of your father, the devil, when you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. doesn't matter if he uses truth to twist it. There is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and he's the father of lies, right? He's a liar and he's the father of lies. But what we need to remember, this is a very powerful thing. This is a very powerful thing. The power is, the power is not in the lie. It's in the agreement. Let me try to explain it this way. Uh, another pastor, Matt Chandler, he's in Texas. He, he gives this hilarious example, at least I think it's hilarious, of like spiritual warfare. And he basically talks about a runner, because, you know, Scripture talks about us being runners, right? He's like, well, you're running a race where the path is constantly changing with a predator chasing you who wants to kill you and a saboteur within who wants you to fail. Isn't that encouraging? That should go on a Hallmark card or something, right? Like, isn't that encouraging? Like, you're, you're running a race where the path is always changing. Circumstances are always changing, right? There's, a, there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and yet we have a sinful nature, as Paul says, that's constantly at war with us. We have a saboteur within us that wants you to fail every time. That's what spiritual warfare is. And then what he needs to, all he needs to do when you've already agreed with a lie is just remind you. Just remind you. Just remind you with something that you know is not true. You've heard people say like me, it's not true. Your family, your friends, you yourself, you're an intelligent human being. If you thought for a moment longer, you know it's not true, but you live your life as if it's true and you've made the agreement that it is. And these false agreements, guys, destroy our spiritual lives. They destroy our spiritual lives because, we number one, you don't even realize you made them. And all the enemy has to do, all the flesh has to do, all the world has to do is remind you for a moment about the agreement that you've made. Let me go back to the stuff we talked about in week one and just show you why the agreement holds the power, not the lie. You cannot stop the path from changing. You, cannot, you can only lean on him to light your path forward. You cannot stop the, the, the enemy with the flesh within. You can only lean on Jesus and the Holy Spirit to win the victory on your, over your flesh. You cannot stop the predator or the enemy from lying to you and trying to steal, kill, and destroy, but you can eject him from the table. You can't stop it. That's why the power's not in the lie. The power is in the agreement. Let me show you. It's better at another table changes when you say, you know, I think it is better at another table. That's when marriages of 20 years 
are destroyed and upended. That's when careers end. That's when families and individuals' lives blow up because we've been convinced. Another subtle way this happens is this phrase, that this is as good as it's going to get. That the enemy will sneak in and say, well, I can't convince you to blow your life up and go to another table, but I can convince you that this is as good as your life's going to get. This is as good as your marriage is going to get. This is as good as your job's going to get. This is as good as your kids are going to get. This is as good as, this is as, good as all of it's going to get. And it feeds, fuels that resignation in our hearts. I don't need to go to counseling. This is as good as it's going to get. I don't need to form new habits. This is as good as it's going to get. I don't need to try or risk or, 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 or even attempt a New Year's resolution. Why? Because I've fallen for not just a lie, but I've made it an agreement. This is as good as it's going to get. You're right. I might not make it. This is when fear takes over. This is when fear not only is whispering in your ear, but fear takes over. You're right. I'm not going to make it. Now, we sometimes have to define what making it means. If you say, you're right, I'm not going to make it, you're going to struggle and have trouble in life, correct, you will. That's correct. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it scot-free through this life. That's already been promised to you, by the way, in Scripture. Not going to happen. Does you're not going to make it mean you're not going to die one day? No, you're going to die. Matter of fact, in Scripture, it tells us we're all going to die. Okay? Doesn't mean something bad's not going to happen to you. Read Hebrews 11, especially the last part. Right? Read Paul. Okay, you know, what does it mean? I'm not going to make it. Guys, you know, if I live, great, awesome, Jesus. If I die, great, awesome, Jesus. Right? So you have to kind of define what that means when you say it, but the agreement that you've made usually falls in line with just simply the struggles and the challenges of life, and you really can't see the other side, and you don't know how you're going to make it through, and yet Jesus has already promised you that he would help you make it through, that he would be with you through those challenges. But here's where sometimes the agreement happens. Many, many, many of us are having to live through the consequences of sin, and guys, that can be the consequences of our own personal sin, or that can be the consequences of people we were married to, parents, children, friends, siblings. They made decisions and it affected you. And you might be living through the consequences of sin, meaning it doesn't mean it's your sin, it could just be sin, period. But because you have to experience the consequence, the enemy has come in and basically sold you a lie that God hasn't really forgiven you. So you can't live with grace. You live with shame. You live with guilt. Which is why you constantly come back where fear takes over and says, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to get through this thing. Another one is I'm broken and I'll never be enough. This happens a lot. I shared it with you the first week. Physical, mental illness. I'm broken. You start agreeing with the enemy. You're right. I'm broken. I have no choice but to live a plan B existence with God. I will never experience the fullness of what he wants to experience and, and, and have for my life. Guys, there's no, there's no more false agreement than that. There's no way. You do not have to be at your best for God to be at his best through you. Matter he says that a little bit later on, I'll read it. It's true everyone's against me. Well, quite frankly, there might actually be a person against you. 
I personally have experienced it. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but there have been people in your life that might come up and they might actually be against you. But the reality is, is that usually there's far more people for you. Right? There's far more people for you. And quite frankly, even if there's no one, God's for you. Okay? Romans 8. If he's for me, who can be against me? Right? Who? That punk over there, that the devil? Who can really be against me if he is for me? Read that one every night. There's usually far more people for you than you realize. And then that bonus level one I told you where he says, you can heal me if you wanted to, but he doesn't want to. And many of you guys, whether it's physical illness, whether it's mental illness, whether it's just emotional health issues, you have made a false agreement that God doesn't want to heal you. And that's not true. Will he heal you? I don't know. I don't know. Not every illness is something to be cured. Not every struggle is something that he's going to take away. Not every dark valley is something that he's going to help you not have to walk through. Paul says, I asked three times for God to take the thorn from my side. And God kept coming back to Paul and said, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need, right? These false agreements, guys, is where the power resides. Matter of fact, he says it this way. Paul says it this way in Romans. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. Okay, that's, where, that's just where it rules you. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about the things that please the Spirit. Keep going. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Death across the board. Death for you, death for your relationships, death emotionally. Death, period, not life. But letting the Spirit control your mind lead you to life and peace. That's the promise. Personal victory and winning the war on your mind, the promise is life and peace because that's what God wants for you. I want to, as I close out the series, I want to just give you three questions. These are the qu three questions that I hope that you'll, you'll take in, in the series, you'll, you'll leave with, and it'll be three great questions to come back to. Long after you forgot we ever did this series, there's three questions that you can come back to to help spark your mind and help engage you, engage you in the battle. Here's the three questions. What are you hearing? What's being whispered in your ear? What are you hearing? What's the internal dialogue saying to you, right? That's going to let you know whether the enemy's at your table or not. What are you hearing? What are you thinking and feeling? Well, that has to do with what, how you're reasoning, right? That has to do with your amygdala. That has to do with your prefrontal cortex. That has to do with what we talked about last week. What are you thinking and feeling? How are you processing these things? Your cognitive bias. Like, how is this engaged right now in this moment? And then what are you actually believing? What agreements have you made? What thoughts have laid claim? in your heart and in your mind. 
that didn't come from, from here. And those three questions, guys, I really hope will be helpful. Just to ask, just to be able to bring it back to mind. What am I hearing? What am I feeling and thinking and processing? And man, have I, have I believed something that isn't true? Have I believed that this is as good as it's going to get? Then you can start to do battle. And by God's power, and his divine power that's given us everything we need to live a life of godliness, as Peter tells us, can engage us in that battle. I started with this statement. I'm going to end with this statement. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Don't continue to live your life with negative thoughts leading it, leading the way. When you have the power the divine power to experience personal victory over them. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful for um, just the way your word even challenges me, God, in areas in my life where I've made um, some pretty big agreements. And God, I have confessed those to you and I've um, repented of those lies that I have believed and allowed to take physical space in my thinking and in my mind. And, and God, it's only you and it's only by the power of your Holy Spirit in me that you've even given me the ability to forge new connections and forge a new path in my brain to, to, to lead me in the direction that you really want me to go. God, I pray that I can continue to lead with my eyes fixed on you and my thoughts fixed on what's pure and honorable and right and excellent and worthy of praise. And God, I pray that for every single person in the room and online who are struggling, either personally, with, regardless of the degree, the scale and scope of mental illness and emotional health, God, that you would also, by your spirit, allow them to experience these moments of, of victory, of personal victory, over their negative thoughts, over their hijacked um, amygdala, and begin to reject the lies of the enemy. God, we know that it can be done because we know that you have given us the power to do it. God, may we all step into what is true, what you say about us, not what we have believed about us this far. And we trust you to do it in your name, Jesus. Amen.